You're listening to HSBC Talks Business. Learn how businesses like yours are leveraging a wide range of banking solutions to maximize their success and how HSBC is helping them. Listeners should note that this episode has been recorded remotely, therefore the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning or good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining today. I'm Deborah Murr, Head of Global Liquidity and Cash Management for HSBC Continental Europe. And to be clear, the Continental Europe Organization at HSBC includes Ireland and other countries in the European Union. I'm based in Paris and worked in Europe for many years, as well as Asia and North America. It's my pleasure today to be moderating the third session of our Europe Month, part of a series of four events to share timely insights on Europe for US headquartered corporate clients. We will save time for questions at the end, so please use the Slido tab on your screen to submit your questions. I also wanna let you know that this session is being taped so we can share it with folks that were not able to make it today. So now let me introduce our panel who will be sharing their views on our topic of transformation. We're delighted to have Mark Redman with us. Mark is the CEO of the American Chamber of Commerce in Ireland. Lorraine Donnelly, country head of global liquidity and cash management for Ireland and Luxembourg. Lorraine has 18 years of experience in designing and delivering cash management solutions for corporates. And Phil Gilbert Smith, Europe Payments Advisory, has over 20 years experience in cash management, both in the corporate world and with financial institutions. So Europe has been a region where driving operational efficiencies, optimizing liquidity, managing exposures has been a longstanding occupation for everyone involved in corporate treasury. We've done a lot of transformation over the years, new currency, new payment instruments, formats, regulations, but now Europe just got a little bit more complicated with the UK leaving the European Union and combined with the impact of the pandemic, it's creating turbulence for corporates. Lorraine and Phil will cover this in more detail. And as this panel will be discussing transformation, Mark, can share his perspective on the opportunities for US corporates in Europe, and more specifically in Ireland, where Mark can share his firsthand experience. First, we see a number of topics that our clients have cited as the reason for driving change in their organizations. And we would like to get your views through a poll to understand your priorities. The poll is available now on your screen. I think there's a tab and we'll share the results at the end of the panel discussion. So please go ahead and and vote. So Phil, as I just mentioned, transformation is not new in Europe. Do you wanna start us off on that? What are you seeing? Yeah, thank you, Deborah. Um, You know, first on a macro level, COVID has definitely driven agendas and had a major impact on how we work not only as individuals, but also as in organizations, as we can see on this panel discussion today. Although centralization and the move to more digital solutions predated events of last year, 
we have seen definitely seen more demand from some of our clients to understand what is possible in Europe and driven them to accelerate their plans. Um, and this has been a real step change for, for many corporates for the drive for automation. These solutions enable treasury teams to, to focus on value added activities that generate real value for businesses at an enterprise level. And our own banking experience with applications, banking apps and other apps have been a real driver for corporate clients are now starting to uh, demand a similar experience for their own corporate solutions. And this really isn't just limited to cash balances, but also understanding where payments and receivables are in the payment process. So as a, an example to that, you know, banking infrastructure is changing. Um, Swift are implementing or re replacing the MT message to an XML message system, which will carry more data on messages from payer to beneficiary and all points in between. This will reduce delays um, and aligned to that, Swift GPI and APIs will also be a real driver to give a more real time banking experience. And of course, no transformation discussion would really be complete without mentioning centralization. Centralization has been on the agenda for many for many um, organizations, whether this is just to rationalize the number of banking partners or to achieve greater standardization, whether it be cost reduction or centralization of functions to manage liquidity risks. But we also see clients wanting to wanting a potential end state that utilizes payment factories, in-house banking and netting centers, whether or not this be global or regionally achieved. Um, at the end of the day, there is no right or wrong solution. Each company will have to determine the end state that best suits their business goals. But fundamentally, a banking partner needs to provide the solutions that support our clients' objectives. With this in mind, you know, a real aid to centralization has been the number of new banking products, such as virtual accounts, that have enabled you as corporates to achieve robust, flexible structures that wouldn't really have been possible previously. And one final point, um, in addition to what we see in cash management offerings from banks, the lower cost of technology has been a real driver for the transformation, you know, moving from on-premise solutions to cloud-based solutions, whether they be a TMS or an ERP solution. Thanks, Phil. Let me bring you in, Lorraine. How has the landscape changed in Europe over recent years? Sure, Deborah, and good afternoon to, to all our attendees today. Um, Deborah, from a cash management perspective, I think many Treasury practitioners would agree that Europe represents potentially reduced complexity uh, relative to, to other regions in, in, in that cash and liquidity management uh, objectives. And that complexity is, is, um, is supported by factors such as the existence of a common currency, the euro in the region, of course, SEPA, uh, um, which is a pan, effectively a pan-European ACH scheme, uh, harmonizing uh, payment standards and rules, but most importantly, a pro-business and, and, and open regulatory environment, um, which facilitates the movement of cash across borders in an efficient manner, manner and ultimately underpins uh, the feasibility of some of those uh, efficient treasury constructs that we see in the region, such as regional treasury centers and in-house banks. 
And as you mentioned at the outset, there are, of course, complexities uh, and nuance to operating in the region. You know, first off, the, the European region um, has experienced a prolonged period of low interest rates um, and indeed negative interest rates uh, for currencies such as euro. And that, again, presents challenges and considerations for clients that, that are operating and managing cash within the region. Uh, you mentioned Deborah Brexit at the outset. Yes, of course, the exit from the EU, uh, the exit from the UK, I should say, from the EU, again, does present uh, considerations for clients. But again, the UK, uh, with a population of 60 million plus consumers, continues to be a really core market for our international clients operating within the region. And so we need to solve for that particular challenge. Uh, SEPA, many advantages, but again, we do see those nuanced transactional instruments in certain markets. And again, checks, despite the, the, the vast declines, do exist in some regions. So again, different payment uh, methods and, 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 and transaction behaviours. Um, but fortunately, um, and, and overarchingly, Europe offers a, a high degree of optionality for those clients that are seeking potentially to establish a base to centralise their liquidity and cash management structures. Um, Ireland and the Netherlands uh, are well-established locations with a deep pool of, of expertise in treasury management. We also see other locations such as Luxembourg, for example, emerging also as, as a very uh, attractive location for certain segments of clients also. Uh, while we also see Switzerland uh, continuing to be a, a, very, um, a, a very common location, particularly for large US multinationals. Um, and HSBC uh, has invested in these markets and invested in our proposition in these countries, really to give our clients the tools uh, that they require to, to accomplish those treasury objectives. Thank you, Deborah. You know, I fully, fully agree, right? We've had to uh, adapt our own organization and our own business to Brexit. So over the past three years, we invested in Europe to ensure that we have the right solutions to serve our clients, as you mentioned, Lorraine. In addition to those mentioned that, that you talked about, we also introduced a full suite of corporate card and foreign currency payment solutions. And we also became the Euro Clearing Center for our own branches and other financial institutions as we maintain direct access to all the high and low value clearing systems through France and Germany. And as of last December, we changed our name to better reflect our presence in Europe. We are now officially named HSBC Continental Europe, headquartered in Paris, and we will operate with two primary hubs in the EU, one in Germany, one in France, plus our branches across Europe. Speaking of investment in the region, Mark, can you please comment specifically on the inward investments you are seeing? Sure, Deborah, and a huge thank you to you and to Phil and all your teams at HSBC for inviting me to participate in Europe Month and great to speak to uh, your stakeholders and clients across the Atlantic. It's also a delight to share the stage with Lorraine and speaking on behalf of the American Chamber, I can tell you, Deborah, it's a great pleasure to partner with the great team you have in Dublin, including Lorraine, Neve Hawhey and of course, Alan Duffy. So because it's Europe Month, let me say a few quick words, Deborah, about the scale of the US-European Union business relationship. And this gets measured every year by John Hopkins on behalf of AmCham EU. The last numbers we've seen pre-pandemic show that 50% of inward investment into the United States comes from the European Union. And 61% of inward investment into the EU 
comes from the US. US companies employ 4.9 million people in the European Union, but European Union companies employ 4.7 million in the States. And as you know, Deborah, when it comes to trade and services, the US has a significant surplus. In fact, in 2019, US service exports to the European Union reached 312 billion, whereas in the opposite direction, it was $236 billion. And when we put these two amazing markets together in terms of purchasing power, we're speaking about one third of global GDP. So having said that scene, Deborah, let me say a few brief words on what I've seen here uh, in terms of the impact on global investment due to the COVID pandemic. And I wanna speak in particular briefly on the impact on integra integrated global supply chains, because I think that's kind of illustrative for the wider relationship. I think we've learned a few things, Deborah. One of the things we've learned is that knee-jerk protectionism does not work when we're addressing, addressing global challenges. And let me illustrate that by one simple example. The world needs ventilators right now. Ventilators typically have 1,000 components from over 30 different countries. Look at the extraordinary, not just transatlantic, but global collaboration in relation to vaccines. So what we see in terms of coming out of this pandemic is the United States looking for trusted partners, not just in global supply chains, but in doing business more broadly. Nextly, Deborah, I wanna say a few, few quick words about maybe the post-pandemic pandemic opportunities and landscape. I think we can predict a few quick things. A, an explosion of consumer demand, be an explosion of economic growth, but see payback time for the pandemic borrowings. So we think this is going to mean unprecedented competition for inward investment. So I'm going to conclude at this point, Deborah, by maybe saying a few words about where Ireland stands in all of this. And let me begin with Brexit. And I think there's broad recognition Brexit does represent an inward investment opportunity from Ireland because Ireland will be the only English-speaking common law gateway to the European Union. But Ireland has to perform a very delicate balancing act between London and Brussels and Washington. And Ireland has to be really comfortable in dealing with ambiguity in that regard. So it may come as no surprise to you that actually in the Irish language, there's no direct equivalence for the words no or yes. So very finally, in terms of the US attitude to Ireland, you know, it's wonderful. There's a president in the White House who self-identifies as Irish-American. We were so honored in April 2019 when Speaker Pelosi spent three days in Ireland uh, focusing on maintaining the Good Friday peace agreement. But we're very clear that that influence only opens doors and we still need to seal the deal. And actually, Deborah, this is the 60th anniversary of the American Chamber of Commerce in Ireland. So let me conclude by sharing with you how the deal making has been going. So as we speak today, Ireland has substantial investment by the world's top five global software companies, 14 of the world's top 15 medtech companies, 18 of the world's 25 top global financial services companies, and all of the world's top 10 pharma companies. So we're facing the future, Deborah, with grounded optimism. Back to you. Phenomenal. It really is. And you've raised a really good point about the delicate balance Ireland has to make between, between all the stakeholders, all the partners. Really, uh, it's a big, that is a big challenge. Thank you so much, Mark.
so Phil, where do you see the opportunities for our clients? Well, thank you, Deborah. Um, yeah, so from personal experience and working for a US corporate on uh, global transformation projects such as payment factories and implementing SAP, you know, it's perhaps underestimated how the SEPA framework has been a real game changer in transforming not only the payments landscape, but the business environment in Europe. Um, this has been one of the biggest transformation initiatives in Europe, perhaps globally, essentially establishing a cross-border ACH um, solution. It's enabled truly pan-European centralization opportunities. You know, I remember um, having to work with suppliers across Europe, for example, paying Deutschmarks, if people remember those, from a French and UK entities accounts. You know, not only the FX implications, but the cross-border charges, there were delays, as well as Treasury having to hedge over 30 currencies. Um, and there was really added complication across border, as cross-border trade, making Europe a fairly complex region in which to do business. And, you know, as Mark alluded to, this has really changed within Europe. Um, the infrastructure now lays a groundwork for real-time payments with SEPA Credit Inst, the first regional real-time payment scheme. And, you know, we do have experience in Europe of, of instant payment schemes. For example, the UK has processed faster payments for over 10 years now. And with falling costs, corporates are now starting to use this particular payment method for, for supplier and salary payments as, as well as other types of payments. But it's not just being from a payment side of things. You know, the transformation for collections has, has been very important, such as business models for e-commerce. SEPA direct debits um, and instant payments are starting to replace card payments for online purchases. And these will drive down costs significantly and in the case by pay by bank um, solutions, delivering potential greater solution um, security for your customers. And these payment rails go hand in hand with um, APIs, which initially have been used for balance and transaction inquiry within your TMS. You know, basically replicating a real time experience that's really only been available in banking proprietary online solutions. And you know there'll be more discussion on the APIs in um, in the next session on the 24th of February. But going forward, we are developing real-time experience for transactions, certainly for operational type payments. For example, you know we work now currently working with an insurance company looking to pay claims 24 by seven, thereby improving the customer experience. And we're seeing that all over um, the, the the market in Europe at the moment. Fintechs, it has to be said, are playing a significant role, not only in collaboration with banks and HSBC in particular, um, by bringing newer products quicker to market, but they're also providing niche, niche solutions for, um, for treasurers. And, and finally, realistically, you know, treasury teams are now becoming more tech savvy and they are driving the agenda with IT teams rather than being perceived as just a user of, the, of these systems. So they are now driving real business change within within organizations. So back to you, Deborah. Thanks, Phil. I fully agree. You know, technology has been a real enabler for Treasury. 
Lorraine, how about your views on opportunities in Europe? Sure, Deborah. And, you know, following up on, on what Phil said, anytime uh, that we get the opportunity to centralize payments, clients naturally expect that that advantage around optimizing liquidity management also. Um, and liquidity management always at the forefront, of course, of, of treasurers' minds, but none more so than, than in the last 12 months, uh, where certainly companies have battled a number of COVID-related challenges um, and really worked to uh, access those pockets of excess cash um, for, gr for group deployment. Um, in Europe specifically, treasurers will want to avoid a situation whereby on one hand, they are paying potentially debit interest or overdraft interest charges on a, on a short euro position for a particular subsidiary or in a location. And on the other hand, incurring uh, negative credit uh, interest uh, related fees uh, for surplus balances. So certainly while visibility and cash continues to be, um, uh, visibility and control continues to be uh, so important, there certainly is op opportunities around interest optimization in Europe. Um, I guess it's also helpful to mention, you know, relative to the time zone here, Europe nestled in between uh, Asia and US, certainly that does confer certain advantages for, for treasury teams working in the region. And we do see uh, as a growing trend, the geographical remit of treasury teams in Europe growing. Um, and, and in some cases we have examples of clients that uh, potentially consolidate up to 20 currencies into a single location in Europe, uh, such as Ireland and, and the Netherlands. Um, so that's definitely a growing trend, but, but so too the, the suite of tools um, that treasury teams are, are, are deploying to help them in managing cash. Um, cash concentration is a, is a, is a very long established tool, uh, also referred to as zero balancing. Um, equally, notional pooling is a commonly used uh, tool in, in, the, in Europe uh, in particular. Um, but increasingly, we're having conversations with clients uh, around concepts such as virtual account management in helping them to, in supporting a number of objectives, including centralization. Um, but essentially, combining, combining all of these liquidity management tools um, and, and, and going back to what Phil was saying in terms of the opportunities presented by real-time payments um, and APIs, um, a combination of these tools can really provide a truly trans transformative treasury solution. Yeah, and, and Lorraine, you know, picking up on um, the virtual account point here, you know, the, the role that virtual accounts make in centralization, enabling payments on behalf of and receivables on behalf of solutions. and and they, these solutions are relatively easy, and I say relatively easy to um, to implement in Europe. And you know we don't underestimate the time and effort and cost in um, implementing POBO structures, certainly within um, ERP solutions. But realistically, these are relatively easy when compared to receivables on behalf of. Um, and and where VAs, I think virtual accounts have really improved that process is the sales to cash cycle. Not only because virtual accounts can be used to differentiate a company that have received the funds, but the HSBC multi-entity solution can also segregate funds down to a customer level. So this customer segregation again creates efficiencies within your credit teams, enabling them to better manage the credit risk. So I think that you know that's a, an interesting point that we're seeing virtual accounts helping at all levels of an organization. So back to you then, Deborah. Thanks, Phil. So Mark, 
what profiles and trends are you seeing in Ireland and what factors come into play? So, Deborah, let me speak to a few um, aspects here, if I may. And the first one I'd like to speak to is just how multinational investment has really transformed what it feels like to be to live in Ireland, to be part of Irish society. And, you know, as we gather here today, one out of six children born in Ireland is born to non to non-Irish parents. If you go to an Amcham member company in Ireland, you're likely to meet over 100 different nationalities. Ireland was the first country in the world to vote by popular referendum for marriage equality. Now, I want to call out here how we've been honoured to partner with HSBC on a number of inclusion initiatives, including gender equality. And in fact, HBC have been huge partners for us with our Women in Global Organisations initiative. And I'm proud to say to Deborah that AMCHAM's board is, is gender equal and it's such an important value for us. And I think this diverse talent pool we have here in Dublin and in Ireland has enabled members like HSBC and others to serve international and global markets. I'd also like to call out, Deborah, if I may, the fact that Ireland, you know, we're kind of well positioned from a time zone perspective. Now, respecting, of course, people can't be always on. You can actually serve markets from West Coast states right through to Asia Pac uh, within a reasonable time frame in, in Ireland. And the final area I'd like to cover at this point, Deborah, maybe is where we see growth, growth opportunities, right? So in terms of um, uh, Industry 4.0, we'd call it things like robotics, cobotics. In terms of wider services, we'd call it, we'd call it cybersecurity. But also, Deborah, I call it the power of proximity. I mean, Dublin, quite frankly, it's a great city, but it's like a village, as is Ireland. And you have amazing proximity. Our International Financial Services Centre is right beside what we call our digital docklands, where the global leaders, leaders in data and digital can be found. That leads to great fusion in terms of fintech opportunities. And one of our leading universities, Trinity College Dublin, is in that same footprint of the city, creating an innovation district in partnership with Cambridge Innovation Centre in Kendall Square. So that's really exciting, Deborah. But I'd finish by saying we see massive opportunities, for example, in convergence in, in sectors such as life sciences and data and autonomous uh, vehicles and industrialization. Let me hand back to you at this point. It, you know, Mark, it's such a great story uh, of the transformation of Ireland uh, over the years. And I've watched it sitting here in Europe uh, directly, and it really is incredibly impressive, uh, amazing place. Uh, Phil, we talked a lot about treasury centers, but what about efficiencies for payment factories and shared service centers? Yeah, thank you, Deborah. Yeah, the um, from what I've seen and what we've seen, you know, treasury, treasury is now taking a leading role um, with finance and procurement functions in in what are now being termed as as global strategic um, service centres. Um, and I think that's a, an apt point for these these particular centres. And we see a, a real importance in Europe, um, countries in particular. Mark has already mentioned about um, Ireland, but there's Poland, the Czech Republic, and Spain are examples where the sector is seen as a real 
career option for people in these centers. Um, and you know, by being in the EU, these allow the free movement of employees across the region. And this enables magnificent language support um, for these solution centers. And, and you know, English is still widely spoken throughout these, these centers, even if they're in Poland or in the Czech Republic. But you know, finally, one final point, these GSCCs or payment factor and payment factories are driving real cost savings and providing better controls within the organization, you know, from segregation of duties to better analysis of payment types. And the process there, processes, you know, they're, they're adding real value to the organizations that they belong to. Thank you, Phil. I, you know, I, I agree. The segregation of duties, the controls that companies can put into place by creating shared service centers or payment factories and taking these processes out of local entities is really a, an important best practice when it comes to uh, security uh, and, and to mitigate the risk of fraud. So I fully agree, this is a, a really a good, um, a good example. So before we take questions, Lorraine, do you have the results of the poll? I do, Deborah, and, and just to remind everyone, we asked our attendees today, what is the main priority for your organization in implementing a treasury transformation project? And interestingly, interestingly Deborah, uh, we had uh, an, uh, essentially an equal vote for both centralization and digitalization as the key priorities. Um, quite an interesting result, really, but maybe not unsurprising in the context of, of all that we've discussed today, um, and perhaps also reflective of, of the recalibration, um, perhaps, of some priorities for, for treasuries in response to the challenges that have been presented in liquidity management um, and, and operation resilience um, over the past 12 months or so. But yes, Deborah, very insightful. Great. Great. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for your views. So let's go to some of the questions now. Uh, tell you what, we have one question here. Um, let's see. Um, what are the constraints of centralizing accounts into one hub in Europe? Who would like to take that? Phil, Lorraine? Yeah, I can, I can take that one. Thank you. Um, so the, you know, going back again, the, the Euro's definitely enabled many companies to set up their Euro accounts um, for all of their, well, not only their Euro entities, but entities that deal in, in the Euro across Europe into one hub. And, and as we alluded to before, you know, Netherlands and Ireland are our kind of cash management hubs for that basis. Um, but, you know, that there are certain things that may not also be possible. And certainly for retail companies that still have bricks and mortar, um, cash, even though it's the European Union, still um, you can't move cash from one country to another. So there are restrictions in moving those notes and coins across borders. Um, and this will also apply potentially to checks. They can be moved across borders, but the... Um, the credits to your account will take considerably longer. So um, aligned with that, there's, there's also the issue of tax payments. And, and I just choose Spain and Italy in particular that require payments of taxes, whether they be national or locally 
to be made from local accounts. So although we are seeing these type of things, we, we are seeing that, that, that there have some been a few difficulties in having a truly one centred hub approach, certainly to the euro. Okay, thanks, Phil. And Lorraine, how, let me ask you, um, has COVID derailed or delayed Treasury transformation plans? From good question. Yeah. Good question, Deborah. Um, I, I think what some of our clients are telling us and what we're seeing is that while in some cases the, the emergence uh, of the pandemic has certainly given cause or pause rather to, to some treasury projects and has, has forced so, some treasuries, uh, treasury teams to, to certainly, uh, you know, rethink um, uh, their priorities. Certainly, um, we're seeing um, that um, the pandemic has, has forced um, the adoption of certain digital technologies also. Um, so we've had, you know, great, uh, you know, great va or vast amounts of treasury clients working from home, trying to run their treasury teams, um, having to embrace uh, digital signing uh, options in order to ensure continuity of business, uh, looking at uh, their transaction banking and internal um, uh, authentication structures to ensure again that they can continue to tr transact safely with their banks, which again that fraud piece that you mentioned a really powerful point. Um, so I think certainly while um, Treasury have been forced to, to look at the, the very broad remit and the very broad list of priorities, um, certainly I think what we're hearing from clients, and I think it's borne out by the poll results, uh, is that it continues to be a really key priority. Yeah, 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 I agree. But it's amazing how much progress the world has made in the digital space as a result of this. Um, but it, you know, it, we've seen great advances even in our own organization. Mark, I have a question for you. What do you think the key factors were that led to Ireland's success in attracting so much inward investment? And how are you gonna maintain that? Oh, There's a lot of competition, right? Absolutely, Deborah. thank you. Great question. I suppose in terms of um, past factors, Deborah, I would point to things like becoming a member of the European Union. And, you know, incredibly, we did at the exact same time as the United Kingdom. Um, you know, smart investment in physical and digital infrastructure, smart investment in education. Um, read, and you, thank you for your kind words, you'd have seen great enhancements in Ireland's air connectivity. Uh, you'd have seen an absolute consistent track record of political and societal stability. And I think you'd have seen competitive tax and compliance cost regimes. Looking to the future, Deborah, we strongly believe that um, future inward investment decisions will be determined as much uh, as um, by where people want to live as where companies want to go. So, so we think decision makers, investors will be looking at issues like quality of life, commitment to sustainability, physical and digital infrastructure, health system, digitization, commitment to inclusion, uh, and commitment to convert our uh, demonstration of convergence, as well as social and political stability as well. These are the factors we think will be definitely on that matrix in the future for those decisions. Great, thank you. Thanks, Mark. So perhaps I can just finish by asking each of you to just briefly name the one takeaway for our clients listening today. Mark, let's start with you. 
Thank you so much, Deborah. I, I, I'm really inspired by listening to, to Phil and Lorraine's analysis and your perspectives. And it just strikes me that, um, and I should have mentioned this earlier, we're very fortunate to have a, about 40,000 talented people working in global strategic services uh, here in Ireland across so many sectors. Uh, and here's a fun fact, Deborah. I think we're the first in the world to collaborate with a university to create an education pathway up to master's level for folks who are specializing in global strategic services. So that's my takeaway. I like I like your term, global strategic services. That's, Thank you. That's, that's really appropriate now. Um, Phil? Yes. Um, realistically, I, th I think, and we've said it before, is not only the Eurozone, but the, the size of the European Union with all the different, um, even with all the different currencies, it's 460 million people, which is a significant um, marketplace to do what is effectively easy transition of, of business opportunities across the region. Um, so it's, it's that one huge market that you can see slap in the middle of the, uh, of the time zones. Great, thanks. And Lorraine? Uh, thank you, Deborah. Yeah, I would, you know, I would maybe just reiterate that uh, Europe certainly, um, it's a very pro-business environment, um, and, you know, and notwithstanding some of the complexities that we've mentioned there, it still offers fantastic opportunities uh, for treasury practitioners to really take um, the, you know, steps forward in terms of their transformation journey. Um, and I would certainly encourage um, any of our attendees listening today to reach out to their relationship team or their or their cash management specialist um, to understand, depending on where they are in terms of their journey and maybe their aspirations in Europe, either expanding into Europe or potentially consolidating into Europe, to understand you know what might be more feasible and achievable and uh, a working model for them. Thank you, Lorraine. Listen, a big thank you to our panelists. That's all we have time for today. We would love to hear feedback from our audience. There's a tab on your screens for, for your feedback. And a big thank you to Mark for his invaluable insights on, on Ireland. Um, and thank you to our audience. We hope to see you next week on 24th February, where Garvin Callan, founder of 101, together with a panel of cash management experts, will be looking at the future with the session on innovation in cash management. Same time, same place. In the meantime, if anything today has caught your interest, as Lorraine mentioned, and you'd like to talk more about it with us, please contact your sales manager or contact the Continental European Corporate Sales Team directly via the link in the invitation. And please stay safe and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for HSBC Talks Business. To learn more about anything you heard today, please visit business.hsbc.com.